I also want to welcome everyone who is watching live or during the week on Catch Up on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube and listening on podcast. God bless you and thank you for joining us as well. Now I'm going to begin my short message today with a question. And in order for you and me to get the most out of this, you're going to have to go on a journey with me. Are you okay with that? And I'm not going to take you down to Mahan or up to Bishopstown or something like that. But I'm going to ask you a question. And if the answer is yes, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And my question is this. Have you ever in your life made a bit of a big mistake? If you have, I want you to own it and stand up. Have you ever made a bit of a big mistake in your life? Oh, whoa. I think we're looking at maybe 99% of the people here, and the other 1% are liars. Hallelujah. As you're standing, I want you to think of that mistake you made. There's probably one stands out more than any. And when you think of that mistake, and when you think of the implications of it, because sometimes a shadow follows us when we make a mistake. And I just want you to think about that, remember it, and we're going to travel into that space in about 25 minutes' time. Thank you, guys. You can take your seats. When I was growing up, I had a fiery relationship with my dad. Looking back on it now at this age, I think he and I were just probably, I don't know if you want to call us alpha males or something, but we both wanted to kind of make decisions in the family. And there was a lot of things I clashed on, but there was a lot I admired in him. And with my dad, he came from nothing financially, and he became an incredibly successful businessman. When just before I was born, he was unemployed, he had no money, but because of hard work and smart decisions, he made a lot of right calls and built up a very successful business that still operates today. My brother, my nephews are all working in that industry. But I always remember my dad, you say this, the person who never made a mistake, never made anything. Someone knows it. (laughs) The person who never made a mistake never made anything. And if you work with someone who says they never made a mistake or live with them, then they probably have never done anything. And my dad made loads of mistakes, and this is what I admired in him. He would always say, man, did I make a mistake in that? But I learned from it. I learned from it. And I really went down the wrong road there but I'm never going down that road again. And it was this navigating, traveling through all of these decisions that he ended up becoming very successful in what he did. Can I suggest that's a bit like life. And that's why nations such as the United States that celebrate entrepreneurs um, really are successful because the only way most of us learn is by our mistakes. And that's what we have to say here in this church. Sometimes we make a mistake, 
But we learn from it. We'll say hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise God. So I want to look at the Bible. And I want to look at a big mistake made by someone in the Bible. Who many of us will have heard of before. If this is new to you, that's okay. We'll explain what it is about. But I pray now, oh God, your Holy Spirit would set our hearts on fire. And that none of us would be lukewarm or cold in here. We want to be on fire for you, Jesus. Because the few days we have on this planet are just preparation for the wonderful days to come. So speak to us now, God, and bless our lives here on earth. In Jesus' name. We're going to look at Joshua 9, and I'm going to look at the leader of what was known as the Israelites. If you think, I am, I'm going to look at a war that happened in what we now know as Israel. And if you think I'm making a political point, I'm not. I'm not going to get into the politics of what's going on in Israel or and Gaza. If you want to know my personal opinion, be warned, I can tell you. But I would never do that publicly. That's a private thing. I want to look at spiritual issues because first and foremost, I'm a pastor. And Joshua chapter 9 tells us a very interesting historical fact that had implications. And it was all about a big mistake that a wonderful man of God made. You may know that Joshua, some of the old theology heads will know it. Joshua is the same name as Yeshua, uh, which is... Who will tell me what name is that? Jesus. It's Jesus. So in many ways, Joshua is a type of Jesus, but Joshua made mistakes as well because some people think he never sinned, but he did, and we look at that. The thing is, no matter how good you are, you will make a mistake. We need to believe God can do something about that and that you and I aren't under a curse because we made a mistake. That's where I'm going with this. So the Israelites were slaves. And they were slaves. What country were they slaves in? Egypt. Someone in the first service said Ibiza. They weren't slaves in Ibiza. I promise you they weren't. They were slaves in Egypt. Most of you know the story. God delivered them. Separated the waters. They went through the wilderness. And then God brought them to the land of Canaan. Which is now today known as Israel. And God said, I want you to live there. I want you to take out or displace the tribes who are living there because I want you, the people who love God, to live there. The people who had lived there were quite evil. They murdered babies quite commonly. They burnt babies. They did behead people. They raped women consistently. They were not a nice bunch of people. And God wanted, there was a judgment coming on them. God wanted the Israelites to go in there. What does that have to do with you and me? It's a symbol. It's a type. It's a foreshadow for you and me that we are called to possess a spiritual land. And we need to overcome the enemy. And there's all types of enemies. There's addictions, there's depression, there's anxiety, there's, there's so many things God is saying, I want you to overcome them. And that's how we should read what we're about to read. So as a summary, God said, these people who are living there, I've given them so many chances, it's time for them to go. But there were seven tribes or nations in the land. They, God had said to the Israelites, it's your promised land, you have to defeat them, and I want you to enter the land. God is saying to some of us here, I want you to walk in victory in your life. I don't want you to be living under the enemy's shadow. Hallelujah. 
And that's the symbolism of it. Let's read a couple of verses from the book of Joshua. The seven enemy nations in the land of Canaan combines their armies to fight Israel. But the people of Gibeon decided to deceive the Israelites to save themselves. So they dressed in ragged clothes and they took along bread with mold. Who are you? Joshua asked them. We've come from far away. Look at our bread, they said. So the Israelites examined the evidence, but they did not consult the Lord. And they went and made a peace treaty with the Gibeonites, with them. The context of this is a terrible context. Seven enemy nations combined their armies to fight Israel. You'd swear we're talking about today, wouldn't you? So, so all of the enemies come together. And that's what happens in your life and my life sometimes. I've seen it again and again in my own life and as a pastor. It's like a husband and wife, for example, will start quarreling. Things aren't great. Then one of the kids gets sick. Then something happens in work. Then they can't pay a bill. And, and it's, it's like all of the enemies just come knocking at the door all at once. If you're in that situation this morning, it's really important that you don't make rash decisions. Amen? Amen. Don't make rash decisions. So there's a whole load of trouble going on and this is the context and into this trouble we meet a people group who are known as the Gibeonites and they come up to Joshua and the leaders of Israel and they've dressed in rags, they've thrown dust on their heads, they've bought along bread with mould and they are masquerading as people from far away who are on a journey, rather than being the people in the land. Now, why were they doing that? You see, the Israelites came into Israel, and when they came to a place called Jericho, by faith, they walked around Jericho seven times, and on the seventh day, anyone tell me what happened? The walls came tumbling down, hallelujah. Twice this summer, we marched around the hall here. Whatever it was, 300 of us marching around at the different services, so more than that. And we marched around symbolically, like the walls of Jericho coming down in our lives. And it was a great victory. But right after that, there was a defeat. The small town of Ai defeated the Israelites because there was a guy in the camp who sinned. You can read up about it yourself. And God wouldn't give them the victory. And the Israelites had to deal with that issue. But word got out to all of these seven enemy nations, these seven tribes, that the Israelites had a victory. And they said, we can get them. We'll sort them. Let's band together. The enemy of my enemy is what? My friend. It's an old Middle East saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And even though they hated each other, they got together. And so in the midst of all of this, one subgroup among them all decided on a different tactic. We're told the Gibeonites decided, if you read it into it, it says they decided with cunning to deceive the Israelites in order to save themselves. 
So here we have Joshua, the man of God, the man who lingered in the presence of God years earlier as a young man when he was an apprentice, if you will, to Moses. He would linger in the presence of God. Everyone else would go home, not him. He wanted to stay in God's presence. He loved the Lord. He had a different heart. He was a powerful and mighty man of God. And he then comes to these people and he asks them a question. And the question is, who are you? How do we know that you don't live nearby? He's doing everything right. He is questioning. He's seen, are these an enemy? Anybody here ever hear of a thing called the fifth column? Okay, a couple of us have. It came about in the Spanish Civil War when they asked, I think it was General Franco, and they were fighting the Republican forces. Anyway, it was a war. And the city was surrounded, I think it was Barcelona, and they asked General Franco, how are you going to win? It is your army to the north, the southeast, to the west. Which one of those four columns will win you the war? And he said, none of them. It's the fifth column, my people hidden in the city. That's how we'll win this battle. That's how we'll take Barcelona. And that's exactly what happened. And so Joshua is saying, who are these? Are they a fifth column? Are they someone coming in here who's trying to attack us? Who are these people anyway? Well, they were a sub-tribe. They were a cross between the Amorites and the Hivites, two of the major seven tribes. The Amorites, that name means pride. Did you know that's the worst sin you could ever commit. If you're proud, I'm not talking about having self-confidence, that's a different thing, but if you look down on others, if you're proud, the Bible tells us that was the sin that caused Satan to fall first day, Lucifer. He was proud. He wanted to be like God. It's, C.S. Lewis said it's the most anti-God state of mind, and that's who the Amorites were. The Hivites that means a very limited vision. We would know that as living for today. I just want to buzz today. I just want to feel good now. Well, what about the hangover tomorrow? What about the fact that all your money is gone tomorrow? What about whatever you're doing today is going to have implications for your relationships, for your mental health, for your body? No, no, no. I just want it. No, no, no. That's what limited vision means. No concept of the future. And these people, the Gibeonites, are a strange group because they humble themselves in their lie. They're humbling themselves, but they also see beyond the situation. So in this we have a hint. In this we see a thread of something different going on. God is doing something very unusual, and these people aren't living up to their name. If you go to the land of Israel today, there are two subgroups among the Arabs. So there's two million Arab citizens out of about 10 million people in Israel. And of those two million, there are two minorities. They're Arabs, but they're subgroups. One are called the Druze, and the other are called the Bedouin. And both of those in the political situation have gone against the rest of the mainstream Arab society and identify with the nation of Israel. You might think that's wonderful, you might think it's awful. I'm not getting into that. But we can often see subgroups of people making a decision and going against the main flow because they've thought something true. And that's what was going on here. But they did it with a lie. They did it with deception. They even bought false evidence. We've come from far away, lie, they said. Just look at our bread with mould. And that was their proof. 
that they came from a far distance. So they were traveling so long, their bread was now moldy. So they were masquerading as something else. What did Joshua do? He did the right thing, and the people did the right thing, the leaders. They examined the evidence. Pause. Someone here is making a major decision, and you're examining the evidence going on in your life. It doesn't stop there. You've got to do something more. Because if you're only going by logic, your logic is faulty. Because the God we love sees beyond our logic. And there's a whole load of evidence that you can't see it. I made this mistake years ago as a, as a younger Christian. We were desperate to see a church that was life-giving in Cork. And God bless, there was two or three churches. But we knew our children would never last there. And we said, we have to have a bit of a critical mass. We started a church with another family and it's nothing on them. But I should have really prayed and got a word from God. But I just couldn't see any other way out. And we ended up trying to start something. And it wasn't fair on them and it wasn't fair on us because we were two very different expressions and very different visions. We all love God, but we were different. And it was a mistake. I should have had clearly heard from God. And I swore I'd never make that mistake again. And by the grace of God, I hadn't. But I did make a mistake then. And so here the Israelites examined the evidence, but as you know, they did not consult the Lord. What's that mean? They didn't pray. They didn't ask God, am I doing the right thing here? They didn't say, Lord, I'm broken, I'm human, I can only see so much, can you just show me? They didn't even say, Lord, if, these, if it's wrong for us to make peace with these people, would you show us a sign? There was nothing. Would you close the door? No. They just looked at the logic and said, okay, look at their clothes. Look at the dirt on their faces and their hair. Look at the moldy bread. These people have definitely traveled from a far way away. But they didn't consult the Lord. What does Proverbs 3, 5, 6 say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean or rely on your own understanding. Now, for what we can understand, God has given us our minds. For what we cannot understand, he has given us the Holy Spirit. And that's why you and I, yes, we need to use our minds. But that can only go so far because we can't see the future. And usually, in my humble opinion, in life, there are so many moving parts going on in any decision it's very hard to be definite unless we know God is clearly saying that's the door to open. And that's why you and I, people of faith, we're different from those who don't have a faith because we want to know what does God think about this decision. Amen? Amen. And if this is all strange and new to you, can I say, isn't it wonderful? You're not on your own. Hallelujah. There is a God you can call on and he will help you. Praise God. And there are people who love God without any agenda who will help you as well. Praise God. Do not lean on your own understanding. But they did. And they made a peace treaty with these people. And they guaranteed their safety, believing the lie. And it then says, when the deception was uncovered shortly after that, the Israelites, the general population, were very angry against the treaty. But Joshua said, we have sworn an oath not to attack them. So the Gibeonites lived on. <clears throat> this is a hot mess. 
Michael was talking about a mess. This is a mess. Joshua, with the name like Jesus, what are you doing? You should have prayed. You see, there are sins of commission. They are sins we commit, we lie, or we steal, or whatever. But then there's also sins of omission. That which we do not do, but we should do. This is the sin of omission, and it stops at the top with Joshua. He should have called for the people to pray, to fast, and to seek God. Joshua committed a sin of omission. And here we see... The, clearly, the fruit began to show initially. There was war. There was a mess. Everyone is upset. Nobody was happy. What did you do, Joshua? The thing is, Joshua owned his mistake. He didn't say. Do we see Joshua here saying, Well, it wasn't my fault, really. It was Mrs. Joshua. It was her fault. She said, look at the poor children. Ah, come on now. Of course they're from her. Look at the bread. Would you eat the bread? It was all Mrs. Joshua's fault. Nor did he say, well, it was my leadership team. They really should have advised me. No. You, on you, Joshua. And he took it on the chin. Fair Jews. And not only that, he said, no, we can't go back. We have sworn an oath not to attack them. And so the Gibeonites lived on. And so here we see that Joshua was a man, Joshua was a man of his word. Are you a man or woman of your word? Be a person of your word. Who'll say amen? amen? If you say something, don't say it unless you mean to do it or you mean to stand by it. Do you know what? If you live life like that, life will go well with you. You might initially feel awkward or you might have a bit of embarrassment, but your reputation is worth far more than money in the bank. Because if you're known as a liar, that will haunt you. If you're known as a chancer, that will forever come against you. Don't believe you can build any business, or you can build any ministry, or you can build any friendship, or you can build a marriage if you're lying and chancing and pretending. Be men and women of our word who'll say hallelujah. This is what God has called us to be. He's called us to be honest. And it, I despair when I see so many people twisting. I'm not talking about in the church. I mean in the world. Twisting stuff and trying to sell stuff and pushing different angles. Let's be, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So Joshua is a man of his word. But he does go to the Gibeonites and he says, why did you lie to us? We were afraid for our lives. We heard your God was mighty. So now we are at your mercy. And here we see honesty. And we can all, I think, on a human level go, the people were desperate. The people were terrified. I have a bit of sympathy with them. They shouldn't have lied, but that was the only way they could get out of it. But you can see how the evil one, the enemy, the Bible knows him as Satan, if you think he doesn't exist, he does, and he's still here today, and he's trying to destroy your life and my life. His fingerprints are all over this. The Bible says he's a thief. Seven strong enemies attacking together a crafty deception. The believers forgot to pray. The people are angry. Mess, 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 mess. And maybe you're in here today, and something really went wrong in your life, and you know you made the wrong call, and you're going, that's a mess, and that's a mess, and that's a mess. I'm here today to say, 
God redeems our mistakes. He rescues you and me from our mess. What does the psalmist say? This poor man cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard my cry. Hallelujah. We're not calling with respect on Muhammad or Allah. We're not calling on Krishna. We're not calling on Joseph Smith, the Mormon God or prophet. We're not calling on any of these people with the deepest of respect. We call on the God who rescues. We're calling on the God who saves. And you have bought your mistake in here. Let's go back to where we begin. You have bought your mistake. Maybe a big one. Maybe not so big, but... The implication is there, and you've bought it with you. How did God redeem, rescue, turn around the big mistake Joshua made? Just look at what happened to these people, the Gibeonites. They became allies with Israel just a couple of chapters later in Joshua 10 and fought with them against the enemy. We see that it was in Gibeon, their hometown, that the children of Israel built the tabernacle before the temple. God appeared to King Solomon there when they were at the height of their power. It happened in Gibeon. And even after all of the Israelites were banished to Babylon for 70 years, when God restored the people to the land, the first in the queue were the Gibeonites who came and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. What happened? You see, they became part of the commonwealth of Israel. It's symbolic. It's like you and I, well, I certainly was not born a Christian. Nobody is. You have to decide to be a Christian. But my family didn't believe in the Bible. That was just another book. But yet I was bought in. I was bought in. And you can look at Ruth in the book of Ruth, who was a Moabite. Moabites. She was a pagan, and yet she was bought in. Here we have a whole group of people who were bought into the nation of Israel, who became believers under an Old Testament covenant. And we can see a foresight, a foretype, a shadow, a promise, a prophecy. This isn't just going to happen in the Old Testament, which is the law. But this is going to happen in the New Testament. Because in the book of Romans, it tells us that the original tree, which was Judaism, was an olive tree. But that God grafts in the wild olive branches. And he connects them to the main olive tree. What do you do when you graft in? It's often called husbandry. It's where you make a cut in the original tree. So the original tree bleeds. And it's, it's painful. And then the gardener, the husbandman, takes a wild branch, puts it into this cut in the original branch, and they wrap around it a stuff like tar or material, and they keep them together until the wild branch is grafted in and becomes part of the original tree. That is what the Book of Romans says about everyone who doesn't come from a Jewish background. We were the wild branches. So unless you're from Tel Aviv, anyone from Tel Aviv here? No, anyone from the Jewish area of New York? No, I didn't think so. So we're probably all Gentiles here. You were a wild branch. I was a wild branch and God has grafted us in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We were wild. Tom, you're still wild. Okay, baby, I'm still wild. Do you know what? I surrender that which is wild and sinful in my life. 
but I celebrate that which is wild and blessing and life-giving in my life. God took the wild branch and grafted them in. That is exactly what happened in the Old Testament, is happening in the New Testament, and it's happening today. Because people are saying, I want to follow Jesus. And God takes you, wild branch, like he took me, like he took all of us, and he takes you and he grafts you in. The Gibeonites become a blessing. That which was a curse became a blessing. That which was a mistake, remember your mistake? Yeah. Yeah. You seeing a face in your head? In your mind's eye, are you calling up the argument or the result of that mistake? Well, you think of that mistake and you think of these people, the Gibeonites, and how they totally turned around. You see, they started out not great. People over the decades have said to me as a pastor, they've said, I don't know about that guy, that new guy. I think he's only coming here to keep his wife happy. Or she's only coming here to see what she can get out of it. Or they're only coming here because they like the coffee and beautiful cake that everyone bakes afterwards or whatever. They just want to have this. They just, do you know what? Everyone has a mixed motive. I came to church with mixed motives. I was seeking after God. But deep down, or within my soul, I was also looking to make friends with people who just weren't the normal run of, a, run of the thing. I wanted a community, a tribe I could belong to. That was big for me. So you could say, I had mixed motives, but we all have mixed motives. And what we see is on the journey, as we come and start following God, and we become more like him, all of the perceived needs are superseded by the real need. Because you might come for healing, or you might come to make friends, or whatever, but on that journey, you come to know that that empty thing inside in you, only Jesus Christ can fill. That we have a God-shaped vacuum. And that which started out mixed, actually becomes a lot purer on the road and on the journey. So the Gibeonites became the best of friends with the Israelites. So much so, there was no difference in the end. So how about your mistake? I'm gonna give you the opportunity in just a moment to bring your mistake very simply. Here's my mistake, Lord. I'm leaving it here in Grace Christian Church today. And I'm gonna ask you, God, that what you did thousands of years ago, you do for me. That mistake I made, Jesus, would you come in and inhabit it? Would you redeem my mistake? Would you rescue me from the implications? Yes, we reap what we sow, but the God of the Bible is the God who is outrageous. He is audacious. His grace is incredible. His mercy is amazing. So the God of the Bible is the God who rescues us from our mistakes. You know this, Michael quoted as well earlier, Romans 8:28. We know that for those who love him, God works all things. Do you think that includes your mistake? Yes. Do you think God will work your mistake for the good in your life? Yes. For your future, for your family, for your relationships, for your marriage, for your ministry, for your career, could the band come up? God wants to take your mistake and do a Gibeonite on it and make it into something that is a blessing. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing.
the chorus or the bridge of that song we sang earlier. And I love it because it's all about the storm. Rain fell, or rain came, wind blew. When you make a mistake, you're in the middle of a storm, aren't you? If a guy goes off and has an affair with someone and he comes back, he is living in a storm, or she. Because his wife, let's say, is heartbroken and rejected. The children are all confused and insecure. Perhaps he's done something to his physical body. He's certainly done something spiritual and mental and emotional. It's a mess. But we bring the mistake and we say, oh God, redeem my mistake. But I'm not talking about that today. Your mistake could have been very simple. It could have been something at work. I don't know. God knows. But I'm here and I preach without fear of contradiction. A word of promise that God will redeem your mistake. Even if you think it's not that big, there's a shadow there. We're going to leave it here with God today. And I'll give you one hint, because we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite you up at the top in a moment. And what I'm going to, one of the things is, one of the biggest things I hear is parents who made a mistake rearing their kids. Maybe you had a teenager who was wild or whatever, and you made the wrong call. We're going to pray God will deliver that young man or young woman. Amen. We're going to pray that in a moment. Let me ask you, have you made a mistake and you want to say, God, here's my mistake. Will you turn the curse into a blessing? Will you turn my mistake into something life-giving? Would you lift your hand if that's you? Okay, I see your hands going up all over the hall. Hear me when I say it, brothers, sisters, you would not be on your knees on a Sunday morning in a place like this unless you were building your house on the rock. Because you're kneeling down, because you're in this place, you are building your house on the rock. So on your knees, and I want you to think, what did you stand for earlier? Was it that person? Was it that child? Was it something at work? Was it something in your faith? Just put in the palm of your hands and lift it up to God. Oh God, we're leaving our mistake in Grace Christian Church. We're going to walk out that door a little later and we're not going to bring it with us because we leave our omission or our commission. Whatever it is we did wrong. And we ask you, God, would you Gibeonite our mistakes? Would you make that which seems negative to us now and turn it into a blessing? Would you turn it right around, oh God? The ones who were deceiving us, I pray they would become our allies, our friends, our warriors. Oh God, that we would see the day soon and very soon where they would start building for good in our lives like the Gibeonites built the walls of Jerusalem. So we leave the mistake now. We whisper it in your ear, O oh God. And as Michael lays hand on each head, we ask you now, God, to turn it around. And I pray now, curse be turned into a blessing. The damage becomes a prize. The deception becomes truth. The ones who hurt us actually bless us. Come Holy Spirit. So we leave 
the mistake of addiction, of depression, of pride, of selfishness, of lack of prayer, whatever it is, here it is God, we're not bringing it out with us, we leave it at your feet, in Jesus mighty name, and the people of God who left their mistake here with a loud voice, as a symbol and as a declaration to the Lord, said Amen, can you say Amen? amen. Praise God, let's just stand guys, because we're not quite finished, I said about the parents, and this is big, I believe it's big. Can we all close our eyes on stage and off stage? If you are a parent and you're here because you say, I think I made a mistake and I'm still walking in the shadow of that, or there, I'm here today to prophesy to you, God is the God of the prodigals and he brings them back. So with every eye closed, could you lift up your hands because I need to know I'm not praying into the air. Okay. Oh, whoa. Loads of hands. Okay, so there's a lot of children, probably young adults represented here. Okay. I want us all to pray together. If you're not praying for this yourself, could you just raise a hand up or forward just to pray for those who are in need right now? I pray, O oh God, that the sons and daughters represented by this prayer, who, if you will, were under a cloud of a mistake, even genuinely made, God, would you turn those who were against that mistake, and would you turn it right around? Would you bring back a full relationship with the sons and daughters represented here, who'll say amen? God, would you restore the years the locusts have eaten? We pray for our sons and our daughters, oh God. And we pray, Lord, that they would begin to be blessed right now. It is 10 to 1 on Sunday, the 26th of November, the year of our Lord, 2023. Oh God, invade their minds, invade their hearts. Grab their attention. And I pray, Lord, something in the spiritual realm would be broken in the name of Jesus. The blood, there is power in the blood. Let the blood of Jesus come upon that situation. And I pray that prodigal sons and prodigal daughters would leave, as it were, the, the pigsty of their minds, of their relationships, of their situation, and make their way back. And I pray now, God, that just as the prodigal father, this is a prophecy, the father of the prodigal son was waiting, and when he saw the son coming from a long way off, he ran out. And I pray that you would be ready to run out and you need to say to God, I am ready to run out and greet my son or my daughter. Here I am, here I am. Lift up your hands if that's you. Say to Jesus, here I am. I run out and I greet them and they won't be on their own. Jesus, Holy Spirit. Jesus, come with your Holy Spirit. We claim these lives and their futures. Come now. Spirit of God. Last prayer. Last declaration. Into your sickness, 
into your anxiety, into your depression, he won't fail. He won't fail. Into that thing at work or school, he won't fail. And I pray these wonderful brothers and sisters would leave this place and singing in their ears will be that song, He Won't Fail. I pray as we sleep tonight, we'll sing the song in our dreams. He won't fail. As we face work in the morning, we'll sing the song in our souls. He won't fail. For our loved ones, for our futures, for the peace in our hearts, you will never let us down. He won't fail. We pray that in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen.